If you have ever had a chance to look into a microscope and see all the activity in a tiny drop of seawater, then maybe you have been in awe. Where you stood before the vast Atlantic Ocean to see a magnificent sunrise over the horizon. Then, maybe again, you have been in awe. Well, today on In Awe by Bruce, I'm happy and blessed to have Shelley Prindle, author of Living in Awe, as well as Real Life, Real God, Real Hope, and the book Straight Up. She also has created seminars, multiple devotions. Her education includes an undergrad in mathematics and secondary education, and a master's in educational leadership. She has served as a principal of Christian academies and is serving as one right now, and in 2007 founded Hope and Passion Ministries to share her passion for God's Word. You know, one of the reasons that I wanted to have her on is as I was reading her book, Living in Awe, I could feel that passion, I could feel that deep biblical insight, and her love for others. And so I just want to welcome you to uh, the show, Shelley, and thank you for coming on. Thank you very much for having me, because living in awe is really at the heart of my life, for sure. So I'm excited to be here with you. Good. That, that leads me right to my first question, which is, explain to people what you see as awe and living in awe for God. Well, the Bible says in Psalm 33, verse 8, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And truly, that is what life is about. I mean, I believe that the only way we are going to seize life the way God intends for us to do so is to keep a full, gigantic view of him right in front of us. Mm. I mean, I just think that living in this world with Satan being the prince of the power of the air, the God of this present age, there's such a temptation to minimize God or compartmentalize God to make him just a part of your life rather than he is life. Not God in the box, but God outside the box. God is actually life. And so I think that so many people just really lose out on living because they're afraid to see how big God is because he does want to do a grand takeover of your life. But that's really the only way you find joy because it's the way it's meant to be. He's God. He's the one to be worshipped. And we need to really free ourselves to see him as he truly is. You know, he is. He's so gracious and loving, and he gives us that free will choice. But yet he, he prods us and does different things to bring our attention to him because that's really the place he belongs. is right in the center and above everything that we're doing. So next thought for me is, as you talk about making sure you have that full, gigantic view of God, what is it that you do that keeps you there or helps you get there, keeps your focus, whatever? Well, I think that it, it is about what I do, but I think it's also about what God does, what he's trying to do, what he, how he's trying to speak to us, but sometimes we don't want to to listen. And I guess I'll, I'll say that two different ways. I mean, one thing definitely is, to have just such a high view of the Word of God as being just that, God's Word. You know, the Word of God is living and active. And as we dive into God's Word, intending to hear His voice, He is going to show us so many things. And being in the Word of God has been critical for me since I was tiny. 
I mean, I just remember being so young and getting my hands on the Bible and commentaries. And uh, I remember when I was, I don't know, seven, eight years old, my dad built a little wooden pulpit for me. And I would go out on the back porch <laughs> and I would open up the Bible and just preach to nobody but the backyard, you know. But I was just so excited about God's Word at such a young age. Wow. But I also say, you know, we need to respond to God and His way that He brings us into passionate relationship with Him. And sometimes that doesn't look like what people think it's going to look like. For me, a very big part of what has formed my life the way it is, came to know the Lord as my Savior around age five or six. But when I was just 13 years old, I went into diabetic coma, not knowing that I did have diabetes, and nearly died. And mm. so I've lived with that disease ever since. But that's a tender age to have your life mm. nearly taken away, to come to realize that life is very precious, that life is not as long as you think it is. And I learned, I believe that that disease as difficult as it is, was a gift from God to make me realize that we should not take one minute for granted and that we should take very seriously every day that we're given. Mm. I mean, I remember coming home from the hospital a week later and kneeling beside my bed and having the greatest experience with God, devastated that I was facing this disease and dealing with the brevity of life at such a young age, but at the same time, just opening up my heart to God and saying, you saved me. You brought me through this. I want to give everything to you. And I'd say that was my pivotal experience. I will never forget that moment. I won't forget the, the yellow bedspread that was on my bed. I, I just won't forget the scene in my mind where I feel like the Holy Spirit really anointed me and called me. And I just never looked back. I just kept moving forward saying life is about more than the temporal. It's, mm. it's about more than here and now. And we mm. really need to know that people come to know Jesus. And my focus went totally onto God and just a very good and healthy obsession with the world to come, the new heavens and the new earth. And I think that part of that passion was given to me through the gift of a difficulty. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. And it seems like from everything I've seen and read and, and just hearing you, you know, kind of echoes what Paul says about redeeming the time. And it seems Absolutely. like you are redeeming it. And that's so neat because, you know, redeeming the time, he says, make the most of every opportunity. But it is really in the Greek, I believe the word is just redeeming the time. And mm. you think about it, Jesus is the one who has redeemed us from our sins and given us life. And he asks us in return to redeem and make the most of every opportunity. Mm. Yeah. And so I truly do. You know, I take every moment, every conversation, every moment that we have, we really need to tune in and say, what can Jesus use me for in this moment for the eternal things that matter? So I wanted to ask you a question because there might be somebody listening who has a friend or somebody who's been through a situation like yours but maybe it didn't have the same effect and they didn't look at it the same way. And possibly they're even looking at it that I can't believe God did this to me or that he's far from me or this was horrible. What would you say to help somebody along at that point in their life? Again, I'll appeal to the word of God and go back and say, 
sticking to the Bible is so important because it really does give us the framework. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible talks about how one day Jesus is going to trample all of his enemies. And the last enemy that he'll put under his feet is death. And then God goes on to tell us that the whole goal of Jesus conquering all his enemies and handing the kingdom over to the Father in the end is that God would be all in all. And I love the simplicity of that. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 15, 28, but it's definitely in that chapter, that God may be all in all. And, and I would say to somebody, we have to keep the big picture in mind. God is driving the universe somewhere. Mm-hmm. Through, all of, through all the disasters of history, through all the things that don't make sense, both on a historical level, but also on a personal level, The Bible is just replete with the promises that God has a purpose. You know, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, he's working all things after the counsel of his will. The goal is for God to be all in all. He's driving this thing somewhere, Mm -hmm. and he's driving every person's life somewhere. And God is beautifully relentless. Mm -hmm. He will not stop. And so the issue comes in, I mean, do I have bad days and are there days when I highly resent my disease and I just cry? Yes. But when all is said and done, there came a day where I had to look at things and say, I'm either going to believe the word of God or I'm not. Mm -hmm. And God is driving this somewhere. So I would say to that person to remember that as haphazard as things may sometimes seem, as wrong as things may sometimes seem, God is truly using all things to drive it to his purpose. And it's not so much a question of whether we'll have the challenge or the problem. It's the question of, will we let that thing drive us in the right direction by God's grace? Mm -hmm. So I would just advise people, we are going to have issues. We are going to have problems. But seeing them as God wants to use them makes all the difference. And God is driving everything towards hope. One of the key verses in my life that I would share with anybody going through tragedy is uh, 1 Peter 1.3. We've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Mm -hmm. So the fact is, when you call upon Jesus, whether it feels like it or not, you know, when a baby is born and comes out of the mother's womb, that baby is born into the air around it and it must breathe. And I like to use that as an analogy, because if we are born again into a living hope, we must come out of the darkness, come out of hopelessness, and we must begin to breathe hope. Mm. And uh, I think that's just critical. God Mm -hmm. is clear that hope is there. And it is my feelings and my emotions that need to adjust to the big picture of his plan. But honestly, Bruce, I think in our day today, in our world, even within the Church of Jesus Christ, it just seems like the reality of what God's Word is saying is put at a minimum. And we're not just proclaiming the whole gospel. We're we're more focused on how to make our lives better and easier in the here and now and not looking at the big scope of what God is doing. Yes. There's a tendency in our culture to go for the it's the McDonald's life. <laughs> I can drive through and God will give me what I need to make me feel better when yeah. that's not how it works, you know? there's Exactly. Yeah. It's not about what makes me feel good at this moment, but what God is doing in my soul for eternal purposes. We really have to believe that. And again, I will just say that that comes back to taking the word of God very seriously, mm. not just as like a guidebook for living or 
to give us hope here and there, but we need to take the word of God as his living word to us and really live in it. So I, I listen to you and, and other people that I've talked to as well as, you know, my own life experiences is, is that one of the things that's in there is that part of that hope is you've had this happen to you and yet God does have a plan for you. Yeah. He has given you different gifts and abilities and he can have you use those in a way that, that would be fulfilling like never before in your life. And he's looking for you just to trust him and move forward on those. And, and that's obviously what you've done with your life and, and your situation. I do believe that. And, and that's an encouragement to people going through whatever type of problem it is. It might be physical, it might be relational, it might be financial, but that is the bottom line. Suffering and dealing with difficult situations can, if we give it to God in the right way, make us either, of course, very bitter and hard or very deep and very sensitive. And mm. I thank God that he has sensitized my heart and helped me to take things very seriously. And yes, it's been a blessing because I'm a totally different person. I feel like every day when I wake up, I'm, I have a daily reminder that I depend on Jesus. Uh. You know, when you lack health, or maybe when you lack finances, or you or you you lack relationship and you're lonely, whatever it might be that you're lacking, let that be something that drives you to remember what a lot of people don't remember when they wake up in the morning, and that is mm. you desperately need the God of the universe, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a good thing, right? Yes, good thing because then then you have the ability to yield better, right? Yes. 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 As you're looking at your own life. How do you think it's possible to affect that sense of awe in others? And and I'm, you know, I'm asking you that, and you've done a lot of things that do that. But I, I just think it's good for people to hear kind of how you view that and how you approach that. You have to be intentional. You know, you have to live with intention. And I'll tell you what, I live very intentionally. I try to keep very prayerful. Ask God to open up every opportunity that He would. But the other key to that, I think, is just the vulnerability and the willingness to be real and transparent with people. When I preach, when I teach, when I interact with people on a one-on-one level, I am pretty transparent and pretty open. Mm -hmm. And people will respond to that because they want to know that we're in this together. I think it's very comforting for people to hear somebody share somebody who has the call to preach and teach the word and yet is willing to admit I'm in this struggle with you. It really, really brings comfort and it draws people to Jesus. So that's a big one for me, transparency. And just, you have to, you have to live with the passion that you're proclaiming. That's the key. You, you have to live it out. You can't say that you're passionate for Jesus. Mm-hmm. You have to act on it every moment of every day. And that's what I try to do, whether I'm dealing with somebody who's four years old or 10 years old or a teenager or an adult, taking the time to sit and talk with them and drive the conversation back to Jesus and let them know that he is at the forefront of my mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do that in the things that I say and the things that I do. I think that transparency, that's one of the things that validated the Bible for me was Mm -hmm. that here it is. It, It has no problem airing the dirty laundry out. Yeah. And talking about it, you know, yeah, David, hey, guess what? <laughs> you had an affair and you had the wife's husband killed. Yes. You know, Gideon, you're hiding down in a pit. <laughs> you're afraid. 
right. uh, Samson, you got overconfident. It doesn't matter. God's willing to show that and say, here's how, here's how I work, and here's what I can do, and here's where I am in the midst of all these things. That is a very big thing, and that's something that I share in one of my uh, seminars I do called Apologetics Activated. It's huge for people, mm-hmm. especially with teenagers. When I begin to share with them, when you think about the actual lives of these people, God never sugarcoats anything. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of people feel that in order to be passionate for the Lord or to have an impact, you have to be some kind of perfect person. But that's just a lie from the pit of hell, because we know that there is no perfection with us. Right. And uh, David was a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect, but because mm-hmm. when all was said and done, yeah. he went after the Lord. Right. Amen. And, right. and that's where it's at. Yep. I'm glad you're doing apologetics with the young group, because that's so important nowadays. You know, young people are craving serious truth. I think another thing that has really gone awry within the church and how we're trying to reach people is we think that we somehow have to sugarcoat or downgrade the things that we're saying. But when I go to a group of teenagers and I just preach straight from the word or I give them hardcore apologetics, Mm. my goodness, their tongues are hanging out of their mouth. They're like, thank you. I mean, they want to be told the truth. They want to be told the hard things. So it is critical. We have to keep doing that. Oh, that's great. Any other ways that you see that people can, we can't force anything on anybody. We're not the Holy Spirit or whatever, but, but things that we could do that would help spread the awe of God around us. This might sound like a simplistic answer, but I'm finding it to be true because God calls me, you know, to different crowds of people, to different organizations, different churches. I find myself in leadership positions in different places. And Mm -hmm. I found that there's just nothing that replaces a genuine life on life modeling of real passion or living in awe for God. I don't know how God does it. It's something about how his Holy Spirit works, but Jesus worked with 12 men, and it just seems to be that you have to live your life in front of people Mm -hmm. for them to catch what it is. You really do. It's not necessarily what you say, no matter how well you say it, but you've got to be living it. I mean, they've got to see you in the hard times. They've got to see you. For instance, with me, people have to see me on days when my blood sugar is horrid and I feel terrible, Mm. but I'm still trusting in Jesus, and I'm still trying to talk to people about the Lord and holding on to him, no matter how things go. People need to see other people in real life action. One of my big things, I teach a seminar called the passion factor. And I Mm -hmm. ask people to check themselves in real life where the rubber meets the road. What's your level of passion with the Lord? How do you know what your level of passion is? Because, you know, Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, he said, I know your deeds that mm-hmm. you're hot nor cold. He didn't say, I know the status of your heart. I know how you feel when you wake up in the morning and you want to serve me. No, he said, I know your deeds. I know how you're actually living this thing out. So when I say life on life, you know, I challenge people and I say, look, ask yourself the question last time that you've been to the coffee shop, hanging out with a friend or a couple people, what is that conversation gravitate to? Because if it's not gravitating to the Lord, if it's gravitating toward the latest television rage, the redecoration of your house, you know, whatever it might be, you know, what you talk about, there's no denying, is what you love. So when you have this life on life ministry, 
when you're having coffee with your friends, when you're hanging out with people, what do they hear you talking about? The smile on your face, does it reflect your passion for Jesus? I really do believe it's very organic. It's person to person and people have to see it. And somehow God has an amazing way of allowing his Holy Spirit to just mm. transmit that living knowledge through a person who's yielded. You're so right. I lived in a ministry house before I was married. We'd have anywhere from three to five other people, and uh, sometimes it'd rotate people. But for the most part, there was a core of four or five of us that were there over several years. And mm -hmm. that, without a doubt, was one of the most amazing times in my Christian life because you were seeing everybody in all aspects, good, bad, ugly, work, home life, religious life, whatever you want to call it. And when you were maybe down, you'd see somebody else that was, you know, trusting God and it helped build you up and get you to rethink where you were and take on a different viewpoint. And so I agree a hundred percent with you. Yes. Yes. It's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and I love doing it with children too. You know, I, I have children. I'm thinking of one young lady in particular, when you get a birthday card, you get a card made by a child and it just says, thank you for bringing Jesus to me. Oh, I mean, yeah. that, that makes life worth living. And you realize that children, they have a way of knowing. You uh -huh. can't fool a child. And so I think we just need to live in such a way that the simplest among us could see her life, his life, man, the one thing that I know she or he loves or values is Jesus. And I, and I often ask people to do that. I say, I'm asking you to go and to survey either your spouse, your children, your best friend, the people you work with. Don't ask yourself, but ask somebody close to you and say, who or what do I love the most? Mm. Whatever those people answer, you know, whatever answer they give, that's probably pretty true of you. You know, and that's uh -huh. so it is how you're living in and out every single day, your conversation, your actions your attitude toward the Lord through good and bad. It makes a big difference. And so I wanted to ask you one other thing. Well, I have you there because it kind of ties into this, I, I think, and, and it just so happened I was speaking on this this weekend, my Bible study, but I was looking in your book, uh, Living in Awe, and you have a, one of the uh, studies in there is the answer to self-esteem issues. Mm. And you say true confidence for living comes only from God and the one who invests himself in us. Self-esteem is not necessary when a person comes to understand who he is in Christ, for that individual will know Jesus' esteem. I love the way you phrase that because I'm so familiar with who we are in Christ, as the phrasing goes by Paul. Could you mind talking a little bit more? Because I think that's one of those, to me, off things that I just go, wow, look at who we are in Christ, and we're to focus on that, and that can drive changes in our life, as it says in Proverbs, as a man thinks, so he is. Amen. That's right. Well, I, again, I think that is one of the things that the enemy of our soul greatly attacks us with. This, the culture we live in, we're told to think so highly of ourselves and to build our self-esteem. And I understand the impetus behind that. But really, from a Christian viewpoint, there isn't such thing as self-esteem. You know, it is Jesus' esteem. Because, again, God is moving the whole universe in one direction, and that is that God may be all in all. And I just shared with my Bible study the other night, it's an interesting phrase, God be all in all, because in that one statement, God is telling us we're not 
pantheistic. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't believe that God is all, but we believe that God wants to be all in all. So God wants to be everything in Shelley Prindle. God mm. wants to be everything in Bruce Davis. Now, until I lay eyes on him and see him face to face, you know, I won't be exactly as I should be. Mm-hmm. But the promise, because of his sacrifice and the blood that he shed, the promise is that I am in him. And when God looks down at Shelley Prindle, thank God, he doesn't see me in my sinfulness. Mm. He looks at me through Jesus' glasses, and he sees his son. And, and so I'm covered in Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you go back to the Garden of Eden, and you think of Adam and Eve. After they sinned, they wanted to run and hide and cover themselves. So they made for themselves garments out of fig leaves. Right. And of course, of course it, didn't, it didn't work because when God came into the garden, they still wanted to run. So the covering didn't work. But what did God do? I mean, we see Jesus way back there because God came and he said, no, no, no. It's not for you to make your garment to be covered from your guilt. I will make it myself. And he made them garments of skin. Mm-hmm. And, okay, skin. So there we have death. An animal had to die and blood was shed and God covered Adam and Eve, which is a beautiful picture right there of Jesus coming, 1 Corinthians 1.30, to be mm-hmm. for us our righteousness. So when we say we're in Christ, I mean, you can kind of almost picture that we are literally covered in Christ. Mm-hmm. We are covered in him. And so God sees us that way. And really that frees a person to live as they ought to live, because I do believe one of Satan's greatest weapons against the church of Jesus Christ, not against the unsaved, that's another story, but against the church, is guilt. Yes. Because we still are going to struggle with sin, and when we can truly see ourselves covered in Christ, Mm. wow, that's how God sees me, Mm -hmm. that's where my value comes from, now I'm freed up to live as I should really live. Yeah. So you're right. That phrase is very, very important. Mm-hmm. And as far as passion goes, just adding one more thing to that about Christ. Another favorite scripture of mine is Hebrews 12 too. Famous scripture, but you know, the Bible says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our, finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of God, all right? So we're told there that Jesus, it wasn't that he didn't go through pain and misery. He went through more physical pain than we could ever imagine, but he went through such spiritual pain that we can't Mm -hmm. imagine because he bore, I say to people, you know, you commit one or two sins and how guilty do you feel for that? But Jesus carried the sin of the whole world. And that's why he cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? But We look at the suffering that he went through, and the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he scorned that shame. And so I kind of picture it this way. He saw you and I in our salvation as that joy in front of him. And so it's not that he didn't endure the pain or misery, but he found a way through God's spirit to push that aside and make it less important than the goal. Mm. So Jesus comes to earth and suffers incredibly so pushes that suffering aside in the sense that he makes it less important than my salvation. That's what that verse is saying. But the beginning of the verse says, let us 
fix our eyes on him. So let us in response do the same. So mm. I tell people our call is similar in that now that he has done that for us, we are called to take up our cross mm -hmm. and to push aside, not that we don't endure pain and misery or go through so many problems, but we make those things purposely less important than the goal. And what is the goal? The goal is Jesus. So I wake up and my blood sugar's high, you know, my car won't start. I mean, whatever your problems are in your life, you wake up and you have things that you deal with, but you hang on to Hebrews 12 too, and you say, look, Jesus gave everything for my eternity. I'll give the temporal to him so that I can please him, do his will, and mm. see people get to eternity with him. Mm. So Hebrews 12, 2 is critical for me, too. But yes, the, the whole in Christ thing, this all centers around Jesus and mm -hmm. uh, enables us. Mm -hmm. Beautifully said. I just wanted to ask you, is there coming to a close here, anything else that you'd like to say to people that are listening that you feel would be pertinent to our conversation today? or may want to hear or need to hear? I would say this. It may seem counterintuitive, but it is a truth. One other concept about living with passion is, is really this. I, I wrote a sermon once called Pondering the End to Engage the Present. And I would just encourage people to remember what David said in the Psalms, what Moses said. And the gist of that is this. You know, Lord, teach us to number our days that we could gain a heart of wisdom. Our culture today, we're so likely to push the whole concept of death aside and not want to think about it. But honestly, God calls us to look at how temporal life is and how huge eternity is. Mm -hmm. So one more thing about living in awe is coming to a realistic perspective that even though now seems so long when you're suffering, the Apostle Paul said, this is light and momentary compared to that eternal weight of glory. So don't let the enemy discourage you by the 80, 90 years you may have on this earth with some suffering. Throw your whole weight into eternity. Invest in the next world. I mean, that's how to live in awe, to believe in the bigness of God, to believe there is an eternity. I really do have treasure there. I really am going to get a new body. I really am going to walk with Jesus. This whole earth is going to be remade, you know, new heaven and new earth. We really have to get that big picture view in mind. Mm -hmm. So keeping our own human frailty and limitations and our own death actually in mind just kind of gives you a passion mm -hmm. to live for what matters. Yes. You know, as the saying goes, you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. So <laughs> truly, teach us to number our days aright that we would gain a heart of wisdom. And then Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And fear of the Lord is, is pretty synonymous with living in awe of the Lord. Mm. And that's what it's all about. Yep. Wow. That is excellent perspective for us to end on. And just say thank you so much for sharing your passion, your wisdom, your knowledge, your experiences, and what went on in your life to put you here. So, Shelly, yep. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for the chance to speak with you. I really enjoyed it. All right. Well, we appreciate it, too, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye.